0: When I have old friends on, and I don't mean old because of our ages. I mean old because of the length of time that we've known each other. When you have dear friends on that you've known for a long time, there's a certain warmth and comfort about it and I, I, I'm I not going to apologize for where this podcast is going to go. Just hang on and just, you know, let us reminisce together. We're just bringing you into the conversation. She is a sales trainer with Dale Carnegie, and you are going to love this lady. Her name is Laura Jones. Laura and I used to work. There. Laura used to be my boss. Can you believe that? She used to be my boss. How do you get, imagine managing this? It's probably what, what made her go into another area of the company is she was just like, you know, dear God, no, you know, but, but you can find her on LinkedIn at Laura Jones, but you can find her right here, right now on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And I call her LAJ. So if, if, if that's what I do, just ignore us LAJ. How are you today? I am
1: fantastic. Glad to be talking to my friend.
0: Well, I'm yeah, long
1: time friend.
0: Well, no, friend. I listen. We've already I, had that conversation. I am very much aware of my more. I will be 50 next August. Shoo. I'm not be, far behind. I will be that. I will not be Hawaii 5 It'll be more like Hillbilly 5 <laughs> Yeah. Nah. Next a- August of 2022, I will be 50 years old. And I cannot, I cannot believe that. I mean, it's, you know, it seems like yesterday, and I remember walking in to a place called Sullivan University in Louisville, Kentucky. And I walked in on a Monday morning. My family had came could come down with me, and we were there the night before. And I met you for the first time in July of two thousand nine. And and it seems so long ago, but it really doesn't seem that long ago. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's how we met. I got to ask you something. Take me through the last year for you around this pandemic, because you are like me, you're really social. You like to be around people. You love helping people and training and doing all the things you do. So take me through the yeah. last year of how it's been as we record this around COVID-19 still in the midst of the pandemic. Take me through what your the last year has been like for you.
1: Yeah. Uh, it is. Like everybody, it's been interesting, and on a I th- like everybody, I think my gut is that it's been a tough year. It's been really hard, really, really hard. I think um, psychologically, you know, my mind and my my attitude, my just my overall well being, my my mental health. But in hindsight, I keep a jar on my kitchen counter, and anytime something good happens, I achieve a goal or just, you know, it's just something really positive happens. I make a note of it, and I put it in the jar, and I reviewed it on New Year's Eve. And I look back, I was like, you know what, 2020 was really overall, it it was a good year. Now, day-to-day was tough, so uh, of course, as you know, I'm I'm single and live alone and so that just the thought of being shut down and isolated. And I'm I'm an extroverted extroverted introvert. So I like to be out and about, but I need that time to recharge. So you know, I don't mind being home and on my own and doing things. I need that time to recharge, but the thought of being completely isolated. It was very depressing. So I was lucky at the time to be working for a nonprofit. It was a residential facility. And so because it was a residential facility, and it was a a small organization for the consistency of our residents and to keep their life as normal as possible, we still going into the office. We split, split our shifts. So I was working from home two and a half days a week and working in the office two and a half days a week. And they were our residents were and, and the and the staff. They were such a huge blessing to me in the past year. They really became like my family. I spent Mother's Day with them. I spent Thanksgiving with them. Didn't even spend it with my own family. I couldn't. So it's, I don't, did I? I think maybe even spent Easter with them. Anyway, just had They were my family away from COVID. Um, so that was a huge blessing. And I tried to maintain my regular routine as much as possible. Even with the gym shut down, tennis in Louisville, they actually took the tennis nets down at the parks. You can not even play. There were no nets. They took the basketball hoops, like literally the metal rims, down from the court. So
0: well, you know what the happened tent- there was all the people that came yeah. over from West Virginia that snuck out of the state. They <laughs> came over and, and took the nets and the rims. And,
1: I thought I saw you. <laughs> see, that's what I'm
0: saying. I mean, they were, like, they were like, yeah, this is a good 10. Here, you can melt this down and get a, get a couple bucks out of it. So, yeah. that's but right. you You were talking about the jar in your kitchen counter. Yeah, that were at our house, it would be full of jelly beans, and I'd just walk by and go, "Ah, there's something good that happened today. Here's a couple of jelly beans." You know, it, <laughs> that's what I would. You did the
1: opposite. You're supposed to put things in the jar, not take
0: them out. <laughs> well, it's the potato, potato. I mean, what do you, what do you expect? I mean, but you know, you know how my tiny mind works. I mean, it's you know, it's, it's, but no, I love that concept of really what you were creating, Laura was was ways to stay encouraged and yes. ways to create gratitude. When you went back on December 31st and looked at those little moments that you wrote down, <laughs> was there one that was like an aha moment? Like I didn't realize that this happened or I'd forgotten that this happened.
1: I think as a whole in there were several things that were goals that may have gotten railed, but they were steps towards those goals that I had achieved. Uh, so that was a positive, and I'd forgotten some little things along the way. Um, I'm new back to tennis the past couple of years, and early in the year, I won my first match. So that was I, that was an accomplishment I put down. So um, a small step towards a bigger goal with, with that hobby. Um, I got back into horseback riding, which I had um, done majority of my life and had been away from for probably the past uh, 15 years or so and had that hobby back up. So those the bright spots. But the big one is my career goal and getting back involved with Dale Carnegie and working full-time now for Dale Carnegie. That was one that I had worked for for many, many years to become full-time with Phil Carnegie. I had a couple of opportunities in the past that uh, didn't pan out. And looking back in hindsight, that was fine. That was the right thing at the moment. And totally unexpectedly, and I won't go into the whole story, but it was actually a dream that kind of... It's fallen by the wayside, and then this past year something happened where I'd pretty much completely written it off. was resigned that it wouldn't happen, and I actually grieved it a little bit this past year. And out of the blue, got a phone call and got recruited to come work full-time. And I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm loving it and doing what I had, following my passion.
0: So you won your first tennis match. I won my first argument with my wife after about eight or nine years.
1: So it took a, it took quarantining and it, it took a pandemic,
0: and Yeah, I mean, yeah. you you celebrate small victories wherever you can get them. <laughs> you know, I mean. You know, you kick somebody's butt in tennis and and my and my wife's like, you know what? I'll just let you win this argument for once and in twenty-four plus years of marriage. I'm like, Yeah, it's little victories, you know, little little It'll take you
1: a while to catch up to her winning record.
0: Well, uh, it's right? true. She's the, she's like the goat as far as she's like MJ. I'm I'd be like playing one on one with Michael Jordan, but <laughs> you know, uh, but you know, I love what you said there about career goals because I think we had a lot of people during the pandemic that felt like maybe their career went off track or they got, they got sidetracked or, you know, they were heading in a certain direction (laughs) and then all of a sudden it kind of paused. And now they're trying to restart that or moving toward it. And, and listen, I don't want to make light of anything like that. And, and, and you know me well enough to know that, that I'm not is when there are so many people that lost their jobs and were downsized and things like that. But, that had to give you such incredible strength and encouragement, knowing that even in the midst of of a a, a lifetime event, I mean, we've I've never seen this type of thing in my forty nine almost forty nine years. You know, in a, in a, in a once in a lifetime event, you were still able to push through. What was the one thing that kept you motivated to keep pursuing that goal once you had it in sight? Once it once it came back into view for you, what was the one thing that kept you motivated in continuing to push for that goal?
1: Well, backing up, as you said, just what a tough time it was for so many people with their careers and their jobs. And back in March, I... And speaking of my mental health, just had gone in such a downward spiral because here I am working for a very small nonprofit and our events being canceled. Um, I, was fair, I was very new working in the nonprofit field and seeing what the shutdowns and things like that were doing to our economy and doing what people's jobs. And I was fearful that, that I was going to be on the employment line. So that was, so that was part of that, that mindset, and not just with my own job, but with our economy in general and, and the hard hit we were all going to, to feel. So that downward spiral, one thing that I've been doing for several years uh, as a result of one of our, our good friends, um, every day I write down my personal goals every morning and whether it's my goal, it's not a to-do list, but my goals for the day, my goals for the next year, my goals for life. And I put a date on there that I want to accomplish it. Well, back in March with the world, just so much uncertainty and everything shutting down. And, you know, like I said they took the tennis nets down. I don't know when I can play tennis again, much less increase my rating. So it was so overwhelming to me it was depressing for me to even open that book and begin to write down my goals. And I stopped and started a couple of times through the year, through the course of 2020. And it was hard because you didn't know what the future held or when those things would be realistically possible again. Um, and so I think, and as I mentioned, I grieved that opportunity um, just knowing that my dream career probably wasn't going to pan out. And so when it came up unexpectedly, It was tough. I I enjoyed the place where I was working. It had become such a special place. It had become my little family this past year. And it was a really tough decision to make. But to show our constituents that I was working with at the time to never give up on your dreams, that was what really pushed me to pursue this, was to set an example for them.
0: See, I would say, I would, I would. Keep a journal, Laura. But but my problem would be I'd forget where I put it. Yeah. And so (laughs) I.
1: Same spot every day.
0: (laughs) Right. Or I would be like, I wrote that. Oh, I can't believe I wrote that. You know, in my debate. No, I
1: will say I'm the same with the journal.
0: I'm not. I'm. I'm like, you know, I
1: wrote that. I don't. I don't do a journal, but writing just writing the goals, what I want to achieve. So it's kind of a future.
0: Well, my wife tells me she's like, "You talk enough, and then you're going to write your thoughts down on paper." Like,
1: but you're that? writing your
0: oh, second book. Yeah, ah, yeah but she is. She isn't going to see it till it's done. So I mean, it. You know, it, whatever. Hey, let's step aside, <laughs> take a quick break. We come back. We're going to talk more about the the idea of. Of just powering through things. I love what Laura said there. Um, we'll probably get into more of, of our connected journey. And then later on, she's going to tell her story and you're, you're going to want to stick around for that. But my guest, my dear friend, Laura Jones joins me today on the Intentional Encourager podcast back in just a moment. <laughs> Hey everybody, Brian Sexton here. I wanna tell you about our sponsor, SEO National. SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. Now what's that, you might say? Well, search engine optimization helps you show up higher on search engines After opening SEO National 14 years ago, let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at 855-736-6285 or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote. Laura, you were talking just a minute ago, and I think a lot of people we we have the the idea of when we're at a company and there are some places that i've been that i didn't feel as connected as places that i'd been previously and and the one place and i've always said the best group of people i've ever worked with was there was 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 our group there at sullivan and and it's funny out of out of the circle of people that I, I kept in touch with, everybody but one person has been on this podcast. Really? Everybody but one. And and, 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 and he knows is. and he knows who he is. Matt Gast. I think you, you know who me you me. are.
1: I I today, didn't
0: you me? know who you are, Matt Gast. You know who I- you are. I'm not, I'm not going to say his name, but when, when I text him and say, listen, I recorded a podcast today with Laura. Come on, Matt. Any Matt yes. Yeah. You know, we Well, I, your clairvoyancy is just tremendous. I mean, it. you know, <laughs> I was thinking about Maddie yesterday. Maddie mad is what we called him and what we still call it. But that's, but that's what I'm saying. It was such a special place and, and you were involved in leadership there at the time. Looking back, being in leadership, I was on, I was on the front lines, you were in leadership and and I'm not trying to to say, but you had a little different perspective. You kind of saw the big picture. We were focused on the day-to-day of setting appointments and making phone calls and going out and and seeing the students in their home. And that's what we did. You had a, you had a, a bigger picture, a bigger level there. Did you realize at the time what we were doing and what did you see at that time from a leadership standpoint that maybe I didn't see being on the front lines.
1: It was it was a special time. We we had we worked hard and we played hard. We truly did. And and it was so, so neat we with our remote employees, our remote employees like you and Matt and, and many others, that they were closer and tighter. We were a tighter knit bunch than the people who were worked worked here locally together and seeing every everybody every day. So it really was a special time, and I think as far as not seeing what you all saw, and we we had these conversations that not um, to try to keep your because it was tough. You all had a tough job as far as not having that day to day of people to bounce your frustrations off with or you know your coworkers to have that camaraderie. So we always felt like that was that was our job to keep you connected and to connect you with each other and to provide that network um, when you were out on the road our road warriors. And so that but also so to keep that to keep that motivation and that positivity up for you and not to <clears throat> not to snowball you or to, to to keep things that were important from you, but to keep, to shield you from maybe some of the negativity or or take some of the, the heat so that you could keep doing what you needed to do and keep your focus. I would say that was, and, and not in a bad way. It was just things, you know, let's, let's diffuse it before the message gets to you or let's say it in such a way we can maintain your, to m- maintain the momentum you have.
0: I love that. And and I think a lot of times, Laura, is that leaders don't understand, you know, it, there there's two schools of thought mm-hmm. and you're the perfect person to, to ask this question because there's two schools of thought. Some leaders would say, and I would probably lean to this, like, listen, the best thing to do is just deliver the news sure. and let's talk about it. I'm not going to keep it from you, but I'm going to deliver it to you. And, and, and even in the midst of blowback or, or whatever, at least we're all on the same page. I didn't keep, and, and I think to some, when I manage people, I, I always thought there was a certain nobility. Like I, when I know something, you'll know something and there's a certain <laughs> nobility to that. Like, okay, I'm delivering it. I've not internalized it and tried to spin it or put it in a different direction. And I'm not saying that you guys did that. But I know that there are leaders that want to say, well, let me draft a statement and let me read a statement or let me just kind of word this in a different way so that everybody get, you know, that we're trying to sugarcoat it or something like that. And, and, and I'm not sure where I fall there because even in the nobility of delivering the message, even in the moment of delivering it, you're still going to get blowback whether you try to sugarcoat it or not, because some messages are just... They're just jarring at times, or they can be very jarring. What was the one thing you learned about delivering messages that that you still kind of take to the? Because when you're de, when you're delivering training, and I don't mean to be long winded here, but when you're delivering training, there are a lot of times when you're delivering a message that's challenging to someone's thought process. And as a leader, when you deliver a message like that, that you have to deliver, it's challenging a thought process. So, what was a, a technique or something that you learned then, when you when you were leading people, that you still use to this day when you're delivering messages?
1: Yes, I think because of the relationship we all had with each other, and we did have that very friend, very friendly uh, you know, the employee leader relationship. That we had a lot of transparency, but the train and being realistic, but trying to filter out the, the negativity or the politics or the emotions that may be coming from other areas. So, kind of be that, that go between. But as you're saying, that if you're not direct at times, then the message will get lost. You know, there's the, the old sandwich approach. Say something positive, then deliver the bad news and then say something positive again. Well you do that too often that negatives gonna get missed. People are gonna wanna hear the positive. And sometimes you there's a need to to be direct yeah. and to yeah. make it clear. And there's the the quote: to be unclear is to be unkind. And if you try to soften the blow too much, especially um, when you're in that in that conversation and Talking about lots of things, and it can it's very easy for that message to to get lost if you're not direct about it.
0: I love that. To be unclear is to be unkind and, and so right. And and I'll tell you this: the thing that I always loved about our relationship was from the minute that we got to know each other, it was always consistent. Like every time I saw you, I would say hey, L A J, or I would text you, and that would be LAJ need to talk to you or something like that. Even when you weren't my boss, we, I think the thing that you and I, and and the thing that, that I would say for anybody listening, if you've got a team of people that you're leading, be consistent with them. Like it's perfectly okay to address them the same way every time, because it just continues to build that consistency. And then when you really need to, to bounce a heart and listen, there were times that you had to deliver a hard message to me, like, Hey, you know, you know, but, but we worked through it, but I also there were a lot more times that you and I would see each other at a break or we'd be at dinner or we'd be eating lunch or I'd come sit with you or you come sit with me and we just talk. Yeah. And that's why the relationship is still good even to this day. And I'll get a text from you every now and then going I really love that podcast that you did. And and it and I know that it's be, I know it's coming from where it's coming from from you because it just build it just has built on 12 plus years of conversations that we've had that we were just We were just talking, you know, I would ask you about your sister, ask you about your family. And you'd ask about my family and, and, you know, it was, it's just a really cool relationship. And I think people are missing that. i would to ask you this before we step aside and take another break. When you see people that you're delivering training to now, what's the one thing that they're missing that, you know, when you walk into that room, it's like, okay, I can see this. you're missing this but this is what i can do to help you wow that's i I learned to ask good questions at Sullivan because i would have to sit i would have to sit i would have to sit and interview kids in their house and i'd ask a question and they'd go uh uh see i i thought i was going to get you on one i was like i'm going to i am going to ask her a question it's going to gonna stump the band.
1: Who taught you that, Brian Sexton?
0: Uh, I'll never tell. But <laughs> I, have, I have a question. And the best know. questions are the ones that make li- you
1: think. You don't have to
0: talk. Let
1: their be silent so they can think about the answer. Well, right. Well,
0: I have lobbed one across the net. It's up to you whether you're gonna hit it or let it go.
1: I will say there is no blanket answer because every group and every training that we do is different. But you know, we're there to meet the needs of that group, there's, I think the blanket blanket generalities you may hear from the person who is requesting the training for their people, the the generational differences, the the Gen Z and the millennials and the different, you know, they get a bad rap, which, and it's just the differences between the generations. So I think there's what we're told the need is but every group is different. I, um, I think maybe mm-hmm, the connectivity and people being uh, connecting with others, not because we're so much in that electronic, electronic and digital age, and actually having those interactions. So the the interactions and also the being open-minded you do be skepticism and it, it, it takes building that person's trust for them to not be skeptical okay what's this all about what's but it's, it's, it's human nature going into whether you're a training of the unknown to be a little skeptical what's this going to be like i want to know so overcoming that that skepticism part of training the first depending on how long the training but the first portion of training is to win the audience over to your side and to entertain them, engage them, get them to like you, and then your training will be much more effective.
0: Yeah, I always thought, you know, just just razzle-dazzle them with your fancy footwork, and then that would just kind of get them involved or, or just do something totally stupid and then just be like, you know. Yeah, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Because, well, and I say that, and I say that because, well, and I say that because I've done it, and and you use the absurd mm-hmm. to to really go, oh my goodness, and then when 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 they're going, oh, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard, then you then you hit them with something really profound and powerful, and it really kind of opens up the mind, like, yeah, that's okay, maybe this is not as dumb as I thought it was. And and there's real correlation between what was, what was just shown and what was said. And so, Yeah. yeah, that's cool. Let's step aside, take another break. When we come back, those of you watching on YouTube, you're going to see a couple things behind Laura that is going to give you a pivotal idea into her story. There are two words that if I would say these to Laura Jones would make her just giddy with excitement. I'm going to tell you what the two words war eagle mean to Laura. We'll do that when we come back here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Hey, everybody. Brian Sexton. I want to tell you about my new book, People Buy From People, 10 Powerful People Lessons from the Ultimate People Person, my dad. My dad was one of the greatest connectors that I ever knew. And he shared with me 10 connecting principles that I have used throughout my 25 year sales and sales management, customer engagement, and leadership career that I'm passing along to you. If you want to be a stronger, deeper, and more powerful connector. You've got to pick up a copy of People Buy From People. There are concepts in there that you may not realize help make you a power connector. You can go to Amazon and pick it up. Kindle, if you're an e-reader and you like to do it that way. Or now available on Audible. And there's one other way you can get a copy of People Buy From People. You can get one from me, and I'll sign it for you. You go to intentionalmediaandpublishing at gmail.com and send me an email. And I'll share with you the link on how you can get a signed copy. You can buy a signed copy directly from me. Again, people buy from people. If you want to connect like never before, pick up your copy today of people buy from people. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Okay, Laura. Notice, I did not say roll tide. That those are cut. Those are fighting words. That's cussing. And, and,
1: where's my leave button? <laughs> yeah,
0: where's it? Yeah, I'm sorry. We got disconnected. Our, my internet was bad. I had to I had to jump on. Round the hole and down the hole. Well, here's the thing. I you know th- there's that love hate between Marshall and West Virginia because, you know, West Virginia is like big brother and and we're little brother and 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 again, I get it, but Auburn and Alabama. That's like a whole different level, and 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 trust me, I have a huge amount of respect for that rivalry because it's a real rivalry. Unlike Marshall and West Virginia, where it's like, you know, West Virginia is just like Marshall, and Marshall fans are like, <laughs> we hate the Mountaineers, you know, you know, you know, and they hate us, and the
1: Mountaineers are
0: like, you be a yeah, pesky. really, really. Yeah. So tell me about how you became an Auburn fan. You ended up going to school at Auburn too, so that that was yes. pretty cool. Was that always something that you wanted to do was go to Auburn or did you just kind of fall into Tell me how that that all – take me through your story about how you ended up at Auburn.
1: I ended up at Auburn. I am a third-generation Auburn grad. In fact, I have my grandfather's yearbook from 1927 on my shelf over here. And my dad's from 19 – actually, I have all of his. So uh, 51, 52, 53, and 54. So – So if you had
0: said, I'm going to Tuscaloosa, it would not have gone well in your family. My
1: dad's told my brother, my sister and I, that he would, that we could get as good of an education anywhere within two hours of where we lived as we could anywhere in the country. So we go within two hours of where we lived, which is Louisville, Kentucky at the time for me. And unless there was a specialty program or a special reason that there was a school we were looking at or we wanted to go to Auburn. So those were our three choices, either within two hours of Louisville, Auburn, which was about eight hours away, or a specialty school. And my senior year, actually, I was not a good student in high school. And there were some things in my educational background uh, that turned that around, but not not, not. I mean, my dad locked me in my brother's room for three hours a night to try to get me to be a better student, and even that didn't work. So I, was, my grades were horrible. But I, my dad told me, "Aren't you going to apply anywhere else but Auburn?" And I said, "No. If you don't let me go to Auburn, I'm not going to college." And I, luckily, I did turn my grades around, and he. He uh, caves, and I got to go to Auburn, which was kind of a, a side story on that. There was a program at U that i wanted to go into, but uh, I wanted to go to Auburn for my for my undergrad. And so I told my dad, oh my god, you go to Auburn and then go back to U and get the second degree. It's like, nope, if if you want that degree, you're just gonna go to U It's like, well then I'm not going to U and wound up a couple years after I graduated from Auburn going, going getting the certificate from U of But it was that was my only choice. In fact, I took the ACT on the weekend of my brother's graduation.
0: So why were you so locked into Auburn? And 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 I say that and you're like, well, Brian, that's a duh question. But was it the carrying on the legacy for you? Or was it more of all the things that you had seen from a distance about? Because people, you know, you were asking me before we started recording. You're like, well, where's where's Bryce at? And Bryce was a little kid when I, when we worked together and she's like, well, where's Bryce at? And I'm like, he's going to Marshall. And you're like, well, duh, you know, that's, you know, it's like the, <laughs> well, the no brainer. Yeah. Was it kind of that way for you with Auburn? Was it was like, I'm going there to carry on the legacy. Or was there something else about Auburn that was just so romantic to you about it that you just had to go there?
1: You know what I've, I think it's a combination of things. I this is back in the day, the internet. You know, I had the college, the college book that was that thick, and would get mail from all kinds of colleges and things. And I kept all the brochures and you know dreamed of my college days. But it was just, it was always Auburn. And I think because my my dad grew up in Auburn, and my grandparents were there, we have family there. It was just, it's still to this day, you know, it, I'm going in a uh, about six weeks. I went this fall. It is just near and dear to my heart. It's it's it, it's really, I guess, a second home. And I, to be honest, didn't know that much about the actual school. My brother went there. i been to football games, had been around the campus, but just and uh, and it was the it was definitely the right choice for me. It was in the end. I think it was maybe the luck that I, that I did was so determined to go to the right school, but it was the right choice.
0: You know, there are a lot of, there are a lot of pretty famous athletes that went to Auburn. Yeah. A lot too. of famous athletes. Did you ever go to school with anybody that was recognizable? Because I can't really say that about going to Marshall. I, I the people will say, well, did you ever have a class with, Chad Pennington or Randy Moss. I'm like, no, I I never had any classes. I had a couple classes with a couple football players. Um, There was a guy named Troy Brown that was on campus there. He ended up playing for the New England Patriots. Mike Bartram was there. I was a sophomore. Those guys were seniors. I, I wasn't in any classes with them. Did you ever have any classes with anybody that we might recognize or know? Here's your opportunity to name drop, Laura
1: my opportunity,
0: if I knew guy's last name, that's awful, Um, that I, my senior
1: year, we had a really cool class. It was a leadership class about Auburn, and we had class of all these different iconic landmarks around campus. We had a project of how, what we recommended to the school to do to make the student experience, to make the university a better place. Um, Actually, my team's my team's project in that course it was implemented and is in practice today. It's the Tiger Transit, the bus system that uh, that takes students from the parking lots to the different facilities around campus. It's it's the transit system. So, um, but this course we had a class on the 50 yard line at Jordan Hare on a beautiful sunny, crystal. Clear blue sky day in April, and we had one of the guys on the football team. And that was nineteen, yeah. Uh, but we had been this previous season it was eleven and zero, so we were undefeated. We were on probation, on you know, no postseason bowl games, but we were we were undefeated that year. And he was the running back. And his name was Frank. I can't remember his last name. That's awful. But he um, had he came out of the field. We were on the fifty yard line. He got there a few minutes late, and he's carrying a metal folding chair. And our teacher, who was like the dean of students, was like, "No, no, 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 no! Can't have chair. Chair." We were like, "He. Oh, this is his house. He can. He can use a chair. He can use a chair." So that was very cool having class on the fifty yard line with our running back from our undefeated season.
0: I saw I see a book behind you about Pat Dye and of course yeah. Coach Dye, a legendary coach, just passed away last year. You know, when you think about people like that 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 were there then that that had an impact. And of course, if I if I there's an ESPN documentary uh, about Auburn where at the same time there was Bo Jackson, Frank Thomas, the the Hall of Fame baseball player and Charles Barkley, the Hall of Fame basketball mm-hmm. player. They were all there at Auburn. And then a guy that was there as they were coming and he was leaving was legendary swimmer Rowdy Gaines. Mm-hmm. Because Auburn has a, a legendary swim program. They, I mean, they're their yes. tremendous yes. swim program, tennis. I mean, they 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 have it's a very well-rounded school. And of course, they just made a change with football coaches, Gus Malzahn, they 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 replaced him with with a guy named Brian Harson from from uh, um I, why can't I think of that Boise State thank you I was like they played Marshall at they played Marshall two years ago Boise State yeah yeah see folks try to do a live podcast and come up with this stuff in thin air you do it and see if you're you're not just me yeah but no you you I mean Auburn really is a special place I'm gonna ask you one thing before I get to the question I really want to ask you a few years back, there was an incident at tumor's corner with the poisoning Mm -hmm. of the, of the trees at tumor's corner. What did that do to Auburn fans across the country? Because for those of you that are not familiar, tumor's corner is a place in Auburn. That is, that is a tree. It's lined with trees and the, the, the way I understand it and correct me if I'm wrong, but the man that it's named for had a pharmacy there in town in Auburn and he was a businessman there. Tumor was his name.
1: Famous drugs.
0: Tumor's famous drugs. for their lemonade. Yeah. Famous for their lemonade. And, and after every Auburn win, they would roll the trees with toilet paper. Yes. See what what yes. Auburn fans could have done in 2020 with the pandemic. They could have <laughs> saved all the toilet paper, and then they, we would have had plenty. If we only knew. If we only, yeah, if we only knew. Yeah. That's right.
1: We but said what, that's going to be legends we tell our grandchildren that. Le- you know, that's right. Day, toilet paper was so prevalent. Yeah,
0: we stood in line for toilet paper. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, if you had toilet paper, you were rich in 2020. Let me tell you. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. But, you're you're a high roller, but no seriously, what what was it like for Auburn fans across the country to kind of see and hear that something had happened to a, a place that was so beloved to Auburn grads and and alumni all over the country?
1: Gosh, it it was heartbreaking. And initially, if you recall the the call, uh, the I remember uh, the call into the radio show that, oh, yeah, it's crazy, yeah, well, of course, the university immediately went to testing and seeing if it was true, and when, and finding out, it was, it's heartbreaking, like I mentioned my grandfather's yearbook, and his trees back then were just saplings, they were, they were brand new trees, and being a forestry school, and we have a fantastic forestry department, and so that, you know, trees are part of our legacy. In fact, before that, they had, for years, been a fundraiser where they took oaks from uh, the the acorns from the live oak trees and planted them and started generating new trees. They sold them as a fundraiser, but they also used them to replace trees around campus, and that's what they ultimately used, place the trees at Tumor's Corner. But It truly was just a shock to the system that who would hurt a poor, you know, unsuspecting tree, a defenseless tree, but it, um, just so iconic. The university, in my personal opinion, is that it was a major PR push because they just knew the, because of the rivalry, how damaging it would be if, um, if they came out immediately and said that the yeah. trees weren't going to survive. So the forestry department, they brought in experts, they brought in, you know, alumni and they dug up the soil, the, the charcoal, The they, they did experimental treatments. They did everything they could to save these trees for six months to a year, I believe. And, but in the meantime, that someone in Tuscaloosa, um, it was, started a, started an effort Tuscaloosa for, t- it was Tuscaloosa for tumors or Tuscaloosa for the trees. Mm. And I believe it was a fundraiser, but it was such a goodwill thing that all Alabama fans aren't this way. We are so sorry that your tradition has been, has been damaged in, in this way. Well, about what was it, three months later in April when Tuscaloosa was hit by this horrible you're, tornado. You're
0: going where I was going to go. And I'm so glad yeah. you did that because What happened was Tuscaloosa was hit with massive tornadoes and the next day coach Malzahn said, guys, we're heading up to Tuscaloosa and you see these Auburn players and Alabama players that had just, that, that butted heads in four months or six months prior in the iron bowl that were working side by side to, to help people out in that community.
1: online movement, the, the Tuscaloosa for tumors, the reverse then happened as a result of the tornadoes. And it became tumors for Tuscaloosa, where there were major fundraisers, they were doing collections of the of the items, the necessities that were needed in Tuscaloosa volunteers. So there were these two huge movements for each school to support each other. And because it probably would have been the second civil war in Alabama if it if these if it hadn't transpired the way it did. So both both schools, both communities, I think handled it handled it very well. So in the end, as emotional and hard as it was, um, and when and they they had ceremonies when they ultimately had to take the trees down. They they put out uh, these different surveys for people to give opinions of how they should be replaced and we want to you know do bronze statues so that we had something more permanent and because could they not ever be replaced but they did replace them with saplings and uh we're still we still roll tumors corner but they have signs around the new trees asking them not to be rolled until they can because literally there is a in the city budget there's a line item for cleaning tumors corner after basketball games and they have to get up with a with a lift and pick toilet paper out of the trees. They're having to hose it out. It's a big effort. So they've asked for the new trees to not be rolled until they get well established. So
0: take me through real quick. And, and I want to be respectful of your time. Take me through thinking back, take me one of through one of the biggest obstacles that you faced in your life. And, and what was the lesson you learned from it? Cause I asked people, you know, that you kind of knew where I was going. Yeah. Where Take me through that something in your life that, that was an obstacle that you overcame and the lesson you learned from it.
1: Hmm. I had lots. <laughs> lots to choose from, but one one that comes to mind that's kind of haunted me for a long time was um, a guy I dated. Uh, he was down in Nashville, and he was in the music scene and following the passion of music. And he... Um and we as we were dating always, what are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? You know, follow your passion career-wise and you know, with your life. And I kept coming back to, you know, people. It's people. People are my passion and experiencing life and helping people, helping people live their best life. But that wasn't a good enough answer for him. And he's like, oh well, everybody's passionate about people or you know, living their life. That's you know what? You've got to find your passion. You've got to find your passion. And Ultimately, the relationship ended because he felt he needed to let me go to find my passion. And for years, that, that question haunted me. Of what is my passion? And, and I kept coming back to people. And it literally was probably about a good 15 years and really, till I had my training career established and seeing the work that we did together at Sullivan and helping students achieve their dreams through their education and, you know, kids that might not otherwise be able to have an education or reach their educational goals and seeing the difference that, that one person can have in someone's life, man, realize, you know, that, that people are, that's perfectly acceptable. That's a pretty darn good passion. I don't there's a better one to have. And it took me a long time to, to let that go. But that was kind of a, a setback for me for a long time. That question really haunted me.
0: Wow. Well, I mean, and you, you've you overcome well and you bounced back well. And so share with the audience your biggest piece of intentional encouragement, because, you know, there might be somebody that's listening and goes, yeah, I you know, for the last 15 years, I've been chasing a dream or for the last 15 years, I've been trying to find what what really makes me happy and I'm not finding it. So I know you've got a big piece of intentional encouragement for folks out there in, in, maybe in that boat.
1: Wow. Um, I would say twofold, one would be, who is it that you're seeking approval from, or who is it that you're seeking to please? And I think sometimes who is that we're seeking to please you know, is it your haters or your detractors? And if so, why? Because, you know, it might be to to seek their approval, but a lot of times we're not fans of them either. So why do you want to get their approval? And, and to know who your cheerleaders are and those people who are in your corner and who do want to see you do well and, and have that advisory team that that you get that advice from because, um, we all need those mentors in our life, and it can be different people for different areas in your life. You know the old adage: don't don't get financial advice from somebody who's bankrupt or somebody who's broke, like me. I <laughs> learned don't get dating advice from people who are perpetually single. I'm going to go to my friends who are in relationships or who are married. So and so have those advisory advisory boards and and know what gives you joy? I, I heard this recently. Make a list of those things that give you joy know you know have them identified know what they are and run towards that joy um, it, uh, the quote that we so often use when we work together was the best is yet to come and i still follow that every day to me it, it, it's that ever moving finish line you know you'll never get there but to know that every day can be better and better and better and running towards that joy i believe you can You can get there. The best is yet to come.
0: Well, I was thinking, I was thinking as you were saying that you're like, well, it's like me talking about, you know, giving dating advice or something. I was like, in my, in my case, it would be like me teaching a Mensa class. (laughs) Like I would be be rolling in and be like, who is this? Who is this moron? You know? Like he, you know, he he can barely he's barely functional, and yet he's trying to, you know, to to tell us something. So, large. If you own, good
1: advice on encouragement? Go see Brian Sexton.
0: Well, it's the blind squirrel theory in full effect. You tell me. Uh, I mean, it's you know, but you're doing a pretty darn good job. Ah, uh, thank you. Checks in the mail. Checks in the mail. <laughs> thank Thanks, you. Yeah. Um. Tell folks how they can connect with you. I know how to connect with her, but I'm not giving you her cell phone number you'll have to connect with her on these platforms.
1: Sure. Well, I am on LinkedIn, at Laura Jones. I'm sure there are thousands of us out there. I kind of like being a little bit anonymous on, online. So Brian is connected with me. You can find me through through Brian's connections, I'm sure, on LinkedIn. And um, I am on Twitter. but I use my Twitter account more as a library of resources for me, my uh, personal use, but you're welcome to follow me on Twitter. I'm not that exciting. Um, that's one of the two best ways to
0: connect. She so undersells herself. It's like I'm not that exciting. You know, in and, and look at me. I, I'm like the epitome of 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 idiocy here, you know. And it's like <laughs> if you follow me on Twitter, it's it it just it's very random. Like if I'm you know, if I'm whatever. So I but listen, this has been so much fun. I knew it would be. You're the best. And I appreciate you and thank you for joining me, Laura A. Jones. I am so indebted to you and thank you for joining me on the Intentional Encourage podcast.